Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org lost. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Trigger warning for discussions of child abuse and domestic and sexual assault. Someplace underneath. We went to Knott's Berry Farm last week. Oh, I'm so jealous. Is it not Scary Farm, though? Yes, it but, is now not Scary Farm. But it is scary, though, even though it's not scary. It's pretty fucking sweet. People were, t- like, warning. I had never been to Knott's Berry Farm. It, I immediately w- was entranced by it. I, I was like, this is probably one of going to be one of my favorite parks of all time. Um, and, but people are all like, oh, don't, don't hold it to the same level as like universal horror nights. It's, it's not the same amount of, um, you know, they don't have the budget. It's a little like Bobo. And when I went, I was, I don't know if I have just trash taste or if they've just really upped their game because it was really well done. I like that. Well, low budget scary is often scarier than the big budget. Because low budget, you get like some meth head. You just pay him five bucks and some crack to go stand in the corner and go blah, you know? Oh, yeah. I don't personally, as much as I love haunts and in everything scary, I love, I'm ghost obsessed. I don't go in the mazes themselves ever at any of those places because, um, I don't know uh, if they background checked any of their uh, their haunters. Absolutely. Yeah, you never know. And like haunted houses, I like the idea everybody go for it. But me in a haunted house, I don't know if it's pedophile Steve in there. Exactly. That's my thing. That's the scariest of all haunts. <laughs> Welcome to Someplace Underneath. I'm Natalie Jean. I'm Amber Nelson. And then it stops and the lights come back on. And then you just go to the next room and they go, doop, 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 doop. No explanation as to who the children are. Or... What happened to those kids? How they get in the mine? The, see, this is the the reality of, of the mining culture is that you, you act like it's fine. And then you go into the back room and there's children being eaten. It is not fine. I um, tell you what, I go on a scary ride every day. It's called the L.A. subway system. Yeah. I mean, there's people smoking crack right next to you. That Whoa. is that is its own haunted mine, right, I guess. <laughs> um, so today we're going to talk about two of our favorite things, missing women and COVID. Wow. They go hand in hand. Yay. Yay. So 
as you probably recall, we've been discussing the instances of the vast number of uh, women who go missing in the country of Peru. Then we have COVID join the chat. So we have a vast number of people who go missing and women make up 63% of those reported missing with domestic violence on the rise during the months of COVID lockdown. I mean, everybody's mentally stressed Mm -hmm. out. I'm guessing the abuse behind the four walls is skyrocketing. Yeah. And, you know, we see that all across the world that happens in the States quite a bit. It's been happening here. Oh yeah. Substance abuse makes sprinkle a little bit of that in there. You got a cocktail. And, you know, Economic anxiety is uh, a bullshit thing that makes people violent, but it is it's real. But that's not an excuse to hit your family. No excuse. Um, So a lot of these women have either been potentially have had foul play from their spouse or um, a lot of them have fled. And sometimes that also doesn't, you know, bode well for a person, but understandable that they would be trying to leave. There's not a lot of like women's shelters in Peru. I mean, there's some places that can help, but like it's, yeah, if you're in like a small town and you flee, you're fleeing through the jungle. Yeah. You know, this is fucking wild. And, and there is such a huge movement, uh, women's rights movement happening right now, but it's still relatively new. And so it's only just beginning to shift a little bit. Um, But with COVID happening, it definitely took a plunge. And between March and July of 2020, months during which Peru was under strict lockdown, there were 11,000 instances of violence against women reported. Oh, reported. Yeah. Way more. Yeah. That's probably a very small percentage. Um, Almost 30% of the victims reported were underage. Get the fuck out. Can you imagine like hitting a little girl? No. 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 What kind of monster would like beat a little, not even like my dad would hit me. Like, yeah, I don't know, man. Sorry. No, as somebody who had a little bit of that experience as a little girl, I, I can only imagine growing up. You look and looking back as I try to, you know, go through therapy talking about shit is like that person has to feel so powerless and so miserable and in, insignificant to do that to you and, and a harmless person. Yeah, because what's a little girl like? If you're gonna hit somebody, hit somebody that can like drop kick you. You know right. what I mean? Same fight. Bring a big dog in the fight here, not a little girl. But not a real dog, please don't bring a no. little dog into it. Just a big, big boy. Yeah, people who do that are not doing well usually in life. So this is uh, um, some information from BBC.com. The woman's right representative of the ombudsman's office. Remember that word? Mm-hmm. They're basically the overseer. They're, they watch over what the government does. They're supposed to be whistleblowers, I guess. So there's a, a woman who she runs basically like a women's rights sect of the ombudsman's office. Her name is Ileana Revoyar Enanos, I believe. Um, she says... She thinks the majority of children who go missing are unfortunately fleeing rape, violence, or abuse. So 
the lack of reliable data, which we've talked about there, there's, you know, they've just begun to start registries for missing and endangered people and women in this country. Um, but so she says, you know, one of the main problems is that we don't have the data to on disappearances to make an analysis or a follow up. So, you know, it, it's hard to track people if you don't have the central base of going like, OK, here's my fucking Excel spreadsheet in the yeah. government of like, is this person, how are they doing? Have they been found? What's going on in their story? Also, who was there in the first place? How are you going to know who's missing if you don't even know if they were there? Right. And, and we'll get into why that's one of the problems that they're facing currently. And um, underfunding. I mean, if it's like oh, yeah. a well, handful of people in this office. Yeah. And also, like we had talked about this is not considered an important issue by some of the more conservative government uh, sects who kind of say a lot of, you know, including the police member, old Captain Hothead, uh, you know, these women are kind of asking for it. Oh, they're, they're, they're troublemakers. Oh, they're sexually ag aggressive. They probably left to go be a showgirl, you know, some yeah. stupid thing. Um, so Peru knows about it. It's just the people in power in Peru aren't even talking about it. Yes. There was a beauty pageant I saw, and I know I spoke about this on like the first episode, but it's kind of wild to see this like Peru beauty pageant. Mm -hmm. Women are gorgeous. And a literal 10 minute part of the pageant was them coming up to the microphone and stating like statistics on rape and abuse and femicide. Just like go them going, please listen. listen, please. Can you imagine if that was done in like an American pageant no, I mean, no way it's like it's like what do you like what ice cream do you like you know what I mean <laughs> like, I I imagine that's true I don't know the last time I've watched a U.S. pageant but I imagine it's, it's along those lines I have no fucking idea honestly I don't mean to insult any pageant ladies out no, there it's hard work I was in a pageant once I know you little southern pageant girl yeah that was um I was I was studying about world history and Benjamin Netanyahu and all that jazz and then my aunt was really drunk and she's like, Amber, they ain't going to give no hoot and holler about what you think about politics. They're going to ask you what's your favorite ice cream. And you say, pecan, <laughs> but a pecan. Did they ask you that? Yes. Oh, I my God. Stop it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How old were you? I was a freshman in high school. Okay. See, you could ask that question to like a seven-year-old in a pageant maybe. Although, yeah. please don't put seven-year-olds in pageants. I don't like it. <laughs> That is very funny. Did you say pecan? Yeah, I was all ready to go and talk about like politics. And they're like, what's your favorite ice cream? And how does that describe you? And I was like, butter pecan. Cause well, actually, the conditions right now in Tibet. And then they just totally push you off stage. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it's crazy. But yeah, it is almost like, OK, we'll get in sparkly gowns. We'll look real sexy for you. Sure, just people listen. talk about it. To us, tell you. Yeah, and Republicans love beauty pageants. Oh, yeah. So maybe they'll like, it'll get something in there. Yeah, sure. Whatever it takes. So basically, like she was saying, Miss uh, Ananos. Ananos. Basically, like Miss Ananos was saying, the main thing she's coming up face to face with as an issue is that we need this like center registry, essentially. So because, you know, like there's things like a lot of the trafficked girls in these mining towns are kids who fled their home and there's no real way to try to find and protect those kids that's set up in the country at all. This happens here as well, though, to a lesser extent, not because we don't have substantial levels of domestic violence, but because kids are more likely to be returned home in our current 
police structure, which you can argue is better if they're accounted for and returned, but that often just leaves the kid with their abuser. Yeah, and the parents are now super mad because you just left. Right. What do you mean you just left me? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this whole, all of it, parental rights versus child's rights is already a messy issue everywhere. I have strong feelings about it, but there's always varying viewpoints. I, for one, would like to see kids treated like, less like a parent's possession. It's a very archaic view of parenthood, in my opinion. Yeah. I want to trust the parents more than I trust the government because I have trust issues with authority. Of course, of course. But, you know, some of these parents shouldn't be parents. Yeah. And that is what the real problem that comes in. I think a lot of us uh, take a more archaic view of, well, they're, it's their the parents. So the parents, are, that's who they should always be with. But in reality, that's often not the case. Um, too many times, you know, you got these things like with the Sophie Long case where her dad is definitely not the best option for her. No. Um, we don't, you know, government overreach sucks. We, it's not ideal. Um but you shouldn't be able to just ruin your child because you they came out of you. For example, you know, there's no reasonable excuse why Josh Duggar should have access to his children without third-party supervision in his private residence. That's He's not allowed to be around children at all except yeah. for his own because they came out of his penis. That's crazy. They literally found children in uncompromising positions on his laptop. It and just, you're letting him be around his own kids? Privately. Make that's, it. That makes sense to me. That's wild. Ugh. But when you look at the other side, if you look at the other side, though, there's a disproportionate amount of indigenous and black mothers who lose their children for minor infractions that could be much better handled through training or outreach programs. You just take them and let the state raise them. Well, the state takes them against their will. Mm. Um, like the one because there was a woman that um, a black woman that put her child in a different school district. Right. And then she went to jail. Yeah. She went to jail. So like essentially what's going to happen to that kid whose parents are away from them. Right. Who only try to do it for a better life for the kid. Yeah. And and the the charges are so wildly disproportionate because, you know, like you, you cross compare that. That was in the news a lot whenever Aunt Becky's kid got into college uh, through lies and they didn't really have any consequences. And this woman who did nothing wrong, really, except for breaking this, like, stupid rule, spent years in prison. Like, that's malarkey. I don't know what else to call it. I hate it. I hate it so much. I, this is a tangent. I'm going off on child, child rights tangents. But in Peru, there is this issue with there's not really a process for these trafficked kids, mostly girls, and the government doesn't take it very seriously. Uh, there is... Essentially, in 2020, a registry was started in Peru. In 2020, a registry was started in Peru. That is... Well, you know what else is bummer is that this was put onto the books to be started in 2003. So it was a 17-year process for them to even start it after they were like, yeah, we definitely need that. It's very important. 17 years later, they're like, oh, I guess now that we're in a global pandemic and it's really crazy, I guess we'll start it. Yeah, they're just um, making excuses. It's like when, like, you know, so you ask someone to help you move and they're like, can you help me move? Like, yeah, I'll be there. They don't show up. Can you help me unload? Yeah, I'll be there. They don't show up. Yeah, yeah. You know, but then they come for the pizza. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And then also the friends who are always like, you you know, I'm your fucking I'm your fucking ride or die, whatever. And then the moment you're like, could you help me lift boxes? And they're like, oh, oh I really want to. I want to so bad, but I have a phone call. 
I have to, oh. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it almost makes me think, like, is the government making money off of some of these girls? Like, is there, they, I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm throwing it out there emotionally, and I don't have any backup plans here. Right. But are they, like, using them through that big port in Peru to sell them and make money? Well, th- see, this is the reason that I think conspiracy theories are so easy to believe, because there's always a, a sprinkle of truth in really outlandish claims. Not saying that that's necessarily, it might be, th- there could be truth, a kernel of truth to that. I don't think that there's like, um, you know, an organization of deep state government officials who are shipping kids in boxes under code names. But I do believe that there's probably corruption somewhere in there. And at least some of those government officials are taking advantage of trafficked children. That's probably true. Um, But then you understand like how quickly I, I get why people believe like wild conspiracies, because there is usually some. Some element of truth. of truth to it. And the people who go to jail and get arrested are never like the big boys no. who actually do it. No. <laughs> no. Oh, no. Yeah. It's only if there's a bigger boy who's trying to protect himself will those people ever be called out. You know, it's like you don't see the big wigs come get busted until you're like, oh, there's somebody above him that's doing something that needs to be. They, they need to throw somebody else under the bus. But really, the registry is not established yet. It's just not like it, there's so, so much work that needs to be done. So that's why private citizens like Catherine Soto, who we talked about, um, was forced to collect this data on their own. Catherine, if you'll recall, started Mujeres Desparasitas Peru. And she says that a huge problem is that the authority in Peru looks at missing women as a statistic, like the way you would about how many cattle head a ranch owner has lost. Mm. That's unfortunate. They 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 had the the sort of the mindset of oh well that's really that's oh, that's a bummer it's unfortunate but it's not really a good use of police time you know we'll keep an eye out on the numbers and we'll touch base again with you okay in like six months that's crazy to me because you know what people like to go where the women are and if I go in a room and it's all men guess what I'm fucking leaving <laughs> I'm leaving every bar like there was a bar that was around me that closed during COVID but it was a female centric bar like for some reason, women would just flock there. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Dudes would always show up and just be like, oh, and then they would get kicked out because they're <laughs> weird. But like, that, I don't know. It's just crazy to me that people are like, women, ah, who cares? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's I don't like it. I'm going to go on record and say that. <laughs> I'm very brave. So in a way, you know, I get this tactic. I'm not again. I'm very vehemently against it. But numbers make it easier to detach from a crisis, as we've witnessed many times. Um, they're not individual people. They're kind of this sort of fuzzy. Oh, this is a big problem. We'll get around to dealing with that someday. There's just oh, there's so many tasks that need to get done. So in their ministry, the state of authority in charge of the police in Peru, there is another explanation that they have set on record. It's the families of the missing's fault. There's a, a woman named Elsa Huelpacusi. Uh, she's an advisor for Peru's Interior Ministry, who, the, again, are the ones in charge of the police. She says that all the missing persons cases have been given due attention. And she says a lack of cooperation on the part of the relatives bogs down the investigations. Ooh. They report a family member missing, then they find the person, but don't tell authorities. If they remembered to tell us when a person had returned, it would help, she argues. I don't know about that. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Sure, 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 sure. I don't know. And also, like, wouldn't you have a distrust in the police naturally? Absolutely do. But no, no. She says it's the terrified families who are the ones who are wrong. 
Oh, she's covering up some bullshit. Yeah, that just makes me mad. The authorities in charge saying, well, maybe the family should like do better. Um, Fuck you a little bit. Catherine Soto says families are routinely blamed for disappearances and victim blaming is not uncommon either. They argue that the woman probably did something to make her partner jealous, prompting him to do something to her, as you'll recall again with with the Soul's case. Oh, yeah. She she left. She had a hothead. She probably just left her husband. She's buried under the house the whole fucking she time. Was, yes, she was buried under her brother-in-law's house. Maybe because of the outcry from COVID abuse victims, or maybe just because the grassroots movements for years have gotten to such a fever pitch, but... October of 2020, a new national search system was launched by the president at the time, Martin Vizcarra. And as part of the system, there is now a national registry in which information on missing persons is collected and centrally stored. That's great. Yes, it is a good first step. It's still not really where it needs to be, but, you know, it, it's it's something. And, and there's still a lot. It's still really at the hands of private citizens at this point there's not enough being done yet um hopefully that's going we're going to maybe in real time watch that change we'll see so you know we have so many stories from from women who kind of suffered from that apathy from the government this story specifically comes from the city of Cusco which is not too far from where we were last week in the mining towns Mm -hmm. at least in Amazonian closeness um As I was reading about this family, I was like, I know that name, Cusco, Cusco. Where did I hear that? Ah, yes. Our confident South African vlogger friend had gone there in his travels. Um, I feel like since I've referenced him in two episodes, I need to credit him. His name is Kurt Kaz. Uh, He's a very, very established YouTuber. Um, so I'm not going to give him, he's not going to get a bump or he's not getting the, the someplace underneath bump. Yeah, he doesn't um, need, he has his own thing going on. But, you know, credit where credit's due. I've now used his videos multiple times. So if you want a pretty good first person perspective of the places we've been talking about through the series, I suggest you go look up his YouTube. So Cusco is in the Andes. So it's pretty high up there, about 11,000 feet. Ooh. It was enough that our our vlogger friend had to leave a few days after being there because of the extreme altitude sickness. Your which blood is, changes. Yeah. A lot of people who aren't native to there get very sick very quickly. Wow. I bet if you're born there, you're probably born with different kind of gobbledygook in your system. Yeah. I do think your lungs and shit are probably... Bigger? So, Something. So, uh, greener? So, I don't know. I don't know. Some. Uh, <laughs> I'm no scientist, Amber. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. If you were in a horror movie, this would be the part where the used car you just bought doesn't start. But you're not in a horror movie. And you found your car on Carfax.com. With Carfax, you won't have to overpay for a used car because you'll know its value. Shop great deals at the all-new Carfax.com. 
So on the map, it appears that Cusco is right at the edge of dense rainforest, specifically the rainforest where La Pampa used to exist in all of the mining areas. So this is basically at the edge of the the jungle. Wow. I bet it's incredibly beautiful. I mean, I do recommend you go look at it. It's insane. Like, I really want to see it now. I'm just very excited about how beautiful our world is, you know? Oh, yeah. The world is beautiful. Sometimes these people are so evil. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes people are ugly. Yeah, it's hard to have to have consciousness. I think I think um, it's really made us all pretty crazy. <laughs> so it's a relative Cusco is a relatively small city at almost half a million people. I consider that like an equivalent of the greater Pittsburgh area. It's you know the size of many small American cities, and of course it's just visually stunning. Uh, it's been called the Rome of America, the Americas, due to it being a bustling city where you're also just casually walking by ancient Incan ruins. Wow. It's like, it's how I felt at least when I went to Rome where it's just people are walking everywhere and you just turn and you're you're like, you guys look, have you guys seen that? Yeah. That building's like 2,000 years old, bro. I love that. And everybody's just so used to it, just like walking around. You're just like, I guess you don't, I guess you get used to it. I guess something's got to be so spiritual when you live there because you think, oh, we've been around for thousands of years and there's been a history of my people, you know, built and done great things. Yeah. I imagine it does change your perspective in life because, you know, we're just a little dumb baby country. I Um, know. I'm like, this building is 20 years old. Wow. How did it stay up so long? Yeah. So... Because of that, because of its ruins and the maintained artifacts, it's a tourist destination. It sees a lot of people come through. Um, This is from LifeGaze.com. This woman was a native of this area. Her name is Joyce Estefani Quincano Huomani. She was a 24-year-old indigenous Quechua woman, and she was last seen on the evening of October 9th, 2020. So she's been missing pretty recently. Yes. Joyce lived with her two daughters and her partner or her husband. It was, I think, a um, like a spiritual marriage. She lived with her partner and her two kids who were the father of her children. His name was Arturo Cani Condori, and he was 32, so a bit older than her. Um, they lived together near Arturo's family, and she disappeared in the last known photo of Joyce, her face is bruised and her head is bandaged after being hit by her partner and father of the two girls. So, oh, my God. And she's living around his family. So I'm sure his family's like, no, my baby boy can do no wrong. I mean, and essentially. She's just like, I'm. I, please help me. Yeah. So Joyce's family has photos of this on their cell phones. She was very open about the fact that it happened to her and that she was attacked this photo was taken on t- September 28th. So just a couple weeks before she disappeared. During the assault, she w- it was reported to police. Arturo was arrested but was soon released, which we'll talk about potentially why. It was during this time after the the, uh, the beating and the, the attack from her that they separated. It was on her terms. Um, they continued to live close to each other and the Pampa Ansa community. Because they have kids together. Yes. And it's just reality. Um, and But she took away his sort of manhood because he went to the police for beating her. And then she was like, we have to separate. So he's mad. He's I mad imagine that's there's probably some, yeah, some truth to that. 
So they lived basically on the outskirts of Cusco, where they were would be considered maybe like the suburbs, although it's a few hours out, uh, you know, to us that might be, oh, that's that's complete and utter, you know, aloneness where you're you're desolation. And but that, to them, it's probably like, oh, it's the suburbs of Cusco. Yeah, they're used um, to it. Yeah. So her partner was not really given any sort of scrutiny Probably not because he was in cahoots with the police or anything or any kind of important person, but because Joyce was a poor indigenous woman and the cops just didn't really care. Um, So they didn't really want to spend the time and resources on pursuing the husband. Her partner's whereabouts were unknown for a long time, but Joyce's family who spent lots of time doing their own investigation because they were forced to have taken custody of her two daughters, which who are, you know, again, Arturo's children, which is maybe sad for the girls. I don't know. I say good riddance. It's probably better for them to not be around a violent father. Yeah, especially two daughters that look like the wife that he was beating. No, get them away. So that very fortunately, they're they're in the hands of relatives. Um, I guess I'm condemning this man who at the time wasn't charged with a crime, but you know, it was quite a coincidence that he beat her so badly and then she disappears very shortly afterwards. Yeah. But there's been no investigation on this because no one cares about her. Well, there wasn't for a long time. Mm. So Joyce Stefani, again, was she was just 15 years old when she was betrothed to Arturo in what the locals called a peasant marriage, a, t- a traditional Quechua arranged marriage. Yeah, I guess 15 at this at, in this area is normal. Where it's like, I'm looking at this from American eyes and being like, 15 is so young. But right. I guess at 15, you're already doing shit. Well, yeah, I'm, it's 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 complicated. You know, it's like, well, that sounds awful to us, especially because Homeboy was in his mid-20s at the time of their marriage. Um, it's not as easy to simply apply our country's standards. Actually, that's not our standards. What am I saying? Today in the year of our Lord, 2021, our beautiful United States is... It is legal for an adult to marry a child in 44 states. Yay! Almost resoundingly across the board, that involves an adult man marrying a female child. Stay tuned for that series, listeners. But yes, let's spend the energy on those pesky gays wanting to love each other consensually. (laughs) So yeah, sidebar, but... Yeah, I feel like at 12 years old, 15, that's not a consensual marriage for American standards. No. No. I mean, it is legally. (laughs) If you're still paying with Power Rangers and like believing in Santa Claus is real, you should not have sex and have children. I guess I shouldn't be married then. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't think it's great. I don't think it's great that a 15 year old was marrying a 20 something. It's almost however, it is almost certainly a common practice in this culture. And so I don't think we can look at it as the sole contributing factor to the violence and the, I can't, you know, begin to explain how it is to live in that community. But in the, I imagine in the impoverished jungle, marriage is likely often still a survival tool. Like it has been through different generations in our society. Yeah. And, you know, to have more hands on deck, really. And often, um, like, the parents think that you're protecting the girl. Like, oh, marry her off so she right. has someone that can, like, look after her. Yeah. But, you know, I'm... I don't want to embarrass myself too much by Amerisplaining. <laughs> Amerisplaining, get it? Quechua culture. So I will shut up now and thank you. Her uncles suspected for years that she was being abused by her partner. This is from the same 
uh, article. However, she lived in a very closeted setting in which most of her time was divided between her ex-partner's family and the evangelical church they regularly attended. So interesting dichotomy here. I don't immediately think of evangelical Christians in the Amazon, but of course there's been missions there. Why would I think that there wasn't? It's been everywhere. Um, but there's a lot of parts in the world that have a weird mix of like Christianity right. and their own religion. Yeah. Um, people, I, I don't know. You it's, know. It's just natural. Like we were talking about even in the establishment of Peru, their, their, you know, their culture in, in the, the Spanish um, Inquisition people came in and mm-hmm. blended all of the culture. It's just, it seems natural to me, but I just, I, for some reason, I'm just like, there's a church in the jungle. That's stupid. Um, so now Joyce's family lives in fear of Arturo's family because, like you mentioned, Amber, there, his family is like, doesn't want to deal with it, doesn't want to look at it, is mad when the family is trying to find her. They're like, why are you causing trouble? He did. Why are you trying to, you know, accuse our child of these things? Oh, he's he's mommy's special boy. Yeah, I, I guess that exists in every culture. <laughs> I guess, um, yeah. So, yeah. Joyce's father is afraid that the family will make me, he says, I'm afraid the family will make me disappear. Ooh, but, you know, kill a man. Maybe the police will pay attention. Well, yeah, especially now that they, you know, journalists came out to the area. It's a little probably, they lose a little bit of their power in that situation. In fact, Joyce's family went with this journalist uh, to her, to Joyce's former home. And it's still essentially a crime scene. Mm. Um, Arturo's family lives basically right next door to the home that Joyce and Arturo shared. And during this uh, an investigation with this journalist and photographer, the family comes out and starts to threaten the Joyce's family and the journalist team as well. They insist that she'll show up soon and they need to get away from their family and their church. Oh, my God. That just says screams guilty to me. Whenever, oh yeah. yeah. It's like a it's like a partner that's like, you cheating? You've been cheating on me, haven't you? You're, you're like, cheating. I got to look at your phone. And like, they're cheating. Yeah, you're like, oh, you're you're cheating. I got it. Okay. Yeah. So the place where she lives tells a different story that she didn't just go and she walked away and will come back. Her house still is filled with broken glass and there's reddish brown stains on the wall, including a handprint. Oh, my God. Where they live does have structured homes of brick and mortar, but the community is very loosely laid out um, more than you would see in the States, more blended in with nature and very modest. Mm -hmm. So the house was just sort of left. In the case of Joyce's former home, it's outside of Cusco enough that it's you know, again, a Yankee like myself would look. I look at the photos of her where she lived, and I'm just like, oh, they've they've never they're so far from society. How could they ever exist? And to them, it's just right outside of town. Yeah, because um, I'm weak. So, well, you're not weak. You're just not like used to living in the Amazon. Like they're used to seeing bugs that would make me like my soul lift just, like, out of my body. Curl up into a ball and be like, <laughs> take me away, bug king. Yeah. I can't do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So, yeah, the, you know, the, the, for a very long time, this family has just been left with no answers and no assistance. And they're just getting yelled at when they ask, where's my daughter? Where yeah. is she? Yes. And so, you know, because of these sort of situations, they were already bad. COVID has made this crisis more prominent. Yeah, because um, if they have COVID, you, you know, six feet apart, stay together or whatnot. Like you can't bring investigative journalists down there because what if somebody has COVID? What if they have COVID? There's no people are literally carrying oxygen tanks. Yeah, there's just sort of like there, there's no like 
Hospitals are different. So right. people will just set out a hundred oxygen tanks and be like, take your tank. Yeah. And then that's, can you imagine like if you and Henry had to like no. <laughs> drag your own oxygen tank back to your house? I don't want to. I don't want to do it. Uh, yeah. So it's like that. And also, you know, lockdown. So lockdowns made everything harder in different ways. So yeah, this is from, uh, NPR, Peru enacted some of the strictest lockdown measures in the world back in mid-March with police and armed soldiers on the street enforcing stay-at-home orders and nighttime curfews. Oh, yeah. Which is very scary. And also, like, by per capita, they have some of the highest COVID rates. Oh, yeah. Their death rate was off the charts for a long time. Because culturally, if if someone from Peru likes you, they'll share a bottle of wine with you or a beer or whatever. That's like, they're very close. It's very like, hey friend. And then like take a sip of the jug and pass it to you. And also their vaccine, uh, they didn't get vaccines until very late in the game. Um, I'm not entirely sure if it's because of government issues or if they just literally couldn't get a hold of them. But they were behind a lot of the other South American countries. So their death rate went, when Delta came in with their low vaccine rate, it just like devastated yeah, them. Yeah, because you literally have to go through mountains and rainforests. Peru specifically gets a lot of brunt for all this because just the location. You got the mountains, you got the jungle, you got the ocean. So you really are pretty isolated. Yeah, and there is some government corruption. Issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So NPR continues, how is it possible that women disappear even during lockdown in such high numbers? It's shocking, says Yelki Boston of King's College, London. She has spent years researching gender-based violence in Peru. How can women still disappear for all behind closed doors? It seems to me this proves the fact that the majority of these women are victims of domestic disputes. Women disappear or get killed. This is an intimate partner violence or family violence, which, yeah, of course. But doesn't this also point uh, a little finger at the police? Wouldn't it? The people who are enforcing the restrictions, wouldn't it be like a little scary to consider that maybe some of them are also responsible for the disappearance of women? You know, if it's like a police state in the street because of this crisis, which I get like a pandemic destroys everything. But if they're the ones who are monitoring the streets, I would be a little concerned. Like, are some of the police people trafficking because they have been caught trafficking before. Oh, yeah. And if they have so little care for human life, female human life, I mean, why not? I guess if you're in their position, you give a little man, you give him a big gun. Yeah. And they get all hotheaded. Yep, They're the hotheads. They're the hotheads. <laughs> so are things moving forward in a positive way? I do think so, even if very, very, very slowly. Again, the women um, who is the deputy for the women's rights in the ombudsman's office, who, again, is Eliana Revoyar Ananios. It's a little bit hard beyond what I've told you guys to find information on her, especially that can be translated into English uh, in a way that makes any sense. So I can't speak to her track record, but she at least, at the very least, has words that I like to hear a lot. Okay. She sounds like she cares and is doing a good job. As I mentioned, a registry had been created, even if still working out some of those kinks, which is a huge accomplishment. In an interview from chsalternativo.org, I loosely got translated. She says that there are four branches of the improvement of searching for missing women. Uh, The important branches are the registry that's been started, the portal that connects them, the line 100, which I assume is like a, a hotline. Mm-hmm. And 
all platforms for alerts that must be um, connected for an immediate search of women. So essentially what she's saying uh, is that the four things they're working on basically all entail being able to interconnect information very quickly. That's great. And like, you know, here... If like an came, Amber Alert. Like an Amber Alert. Yeah. I get those texts all the time. Yeah. But it would be nice, you know, especially if it's a... If someone... These are pretty close-knit communities, I imagine. You would know who this person was. If you get a text that says she went missing. Right. Like, and when so, did I last see her? Yeah. And so what she's talking about here is the immediacy that they're attempting to address with these series of steps because now they're working on having the central alarm bell system. Um, which is more likely to, it will increase the chance that the person will be found simply because, as you probably know, the first couple of days are extremely crucial in missing cases. Um, and in the way that they've been doing it, a lot of times they can't get any movement for a week, two weeks, a month on anything. And then at that point, it's very rare you're going to find somebody, unfortunately. It does happen, but, uh, you know, this, what she's talking about doesn't necessarily address the racism, sexism, and economic disparity that prevents many of these women from being found. But immediacy ain't a bad thing. At least she's doing something. This is from LifeGate. The representative of the Ombudsman's office mentioned the state of Ariquipa in the south of the country. Ariquipa? The state of Ariquipa, I believe, in the south of the country. Here there have been 47 cases of disappearances during confinement and 43 of them have been found alive wow. because searches were taken seriously. Wow. We must follow that example in the rest of the country. Great job. I know. So the, this is saying that, look, we can actually improve this. It's, it's, it's a possible future for us. But as she openly says, the system is still a work in progress. And maybe not being built with a sense of urgency when they should really be employing a sort of no chill policy with this. You know, we talked about it's it was 17 years for them to even get the ball rolling on this thing they said they were going to do in 2003. And it's, you know, probably only because of the grassroots movements demanding it happen. Ananyo has also mentioned that they have huge boulders to move in the world of convincing people to even report their loved ones missing. Oh, because they don't trust the police. Mm -hmm. They, you know, I don't know who, who these people are. Right. What I keep reading over and over again in these stories is an issue we deal with in the States, which is fear of authority. Um, just like Black Americans have been screaming at the top of their lungs, the poor and indigenous populations don't report all their missing because they are afraid of the cops and afraid of being blamed. Yeah. Now you go to jail. Right. What did you do? Why Why are you causing trouble? She's like, I just want my sister yeah. to come home. And usually like the whistleblowers, they're treated worse mm -hmm. than the person who actually did the crime. Right. Because like, how dare you bring this up to me? Right. Which is, you know, one of the reasons like in, in psychology and sociology, why people have a hard time dealing with like child sexual abuse and stuff, because a lot of times the person who's doing that abuse is you know, a revered member of society or somebody who people look up to and you're just like, why are you causing trouble? Why are you, why are you ruining everybody's? It's like, yeah, it's hard. It sucks. Nobody wants to be talking about this, but you can't just ignore it because it's annoying. Yeah. Um, yeah. We just want things to be like, let them be. We don't want to make waves. Right. It's easier right now. And I'm like, wait till it happens to your family. Right. And it shouldn't just ha it shouldn't have to happen to your family for you to care. Just yeah. like, we got to change that as a society. Um, and as she noted, there's a huge percentage of them 
are young and underage girls. Minors who flee are a sign that we failed as a society, she adds, which I very much agree with. And of course, not just in Peru, but yeah, if we have kids who have are so terrorized in their homes that they run away and there's no way to handle that and no, nothing to do with them, that's a failure of society. It just is. Um, mm. And not just Peruvian society. I mean, it's the human it's society. Any society. If you look at it on paper and like, oh, there's a lot of girls fleeing. You're like, yeah. what? That's never, like, you're not like, good job. Yeah, they're good not. Good job, everyone. <laughs> So, yeah, I see what she means. Like in one instance from NPR, a 12 year old who was assaulted. This is really bad. This is hard, guys. I'm sorry. A 12 year old who was assaulted and raped while walking home in late May in the Vilquashwaman province of Ayacucho, a region in south central Peru. The girl reported the rape, but the healthcare worker who examined her failed to give her the emergency health kit that victims of sexual violence are supposed to receive under Peruvian law. The kit includes the emergency birth control drug, like a morning after pill, essentially. The girl later found out she was pregnant. Two men were charged in the case, but relatives of one man testified the girl was in fact his girlfriend, while the relative of a second man vouched for his whereabouts at the time of the rape. A judge eventually let both men go free with some restrictions on their movement. Meanwhile, the girl is in a state shelter, according to Peruvian news reports. Wow. That's just like how little of a shit authority gives. Yeah. So they kind of just made it be like, well, everybody made mistakes here. Let's move on. Her life is just, she's in shambles right now. I mean, yeah. she can rebuild and I'm sure she's a strong woman, but she's come yeah. on, man. I mean, a little girl getting pregnant and they didn't even help her you know didn't even give her an option to not be pregnant and blah. well what is needed is a cultural change um this is from eugenia fernan zegara of the defensoria which is um you know part of the government body in peru what is needed is a cultural change there are girls who disappear because there are those who consume their bodies to translation but i i'm assuming they mean you know yeah. like use them um these people have to stop considering women adolescents and girls as an object of personal satisfaction which is a mouthful you know that's a lot but i'm um, sure in the language it makes it and it, i get it that it makes sense oh no it's i think it's actually a really beautiful poetic statement and i it's, I, I agree um, for instance, domestic abuse isn't really a thing in Peru. I mean, even marital rape wasn't considered illegal until the 90s. Yeah. In, in, in the United States. America. Yeah. So, yeah. Right now in Peru, um, things like restraining orders, as flawed as they may be, at least exist in the States. That doesn't happen there. Violence in the home is treated barely more harshly than a traffic violation. Mm. And cases of physical abuse are classified as misdemeanors, not criminal offenses, unless the victim is deemed injured enough to be incapacitated for at least 10 days. 10 days? You are fucked up if it's been 10 days. If you're incapacitated for nine days, it's just like a ticket. It's like, what? It's got to be 10 days. What does 10 days have to do with anything? Ugh. Holy shit. And that means you got fucked up. It's just so yeah. normalized. Yeah. Wow. And in regards to the registry, through all the time spent on the series, the only specific people shown I could find on the internet anywhere were through Catherine Soto's Facebook page, Fujimaris Desperacitas. I will include some pictures of some of these women from her Facebook page. 
There are really no profiles or interviews about any missing women that are easily detectable, um, at least from my perspective. And they need to be. Not because I don't want to spend the time on research, but because it serves no one if you have to spend four hours locating information about someone who may be in current peril. You know, even the very few women I could find who had been spotlighted, such as Joyce, who we spoke about, their stories had to have a button on them. With Joyce, she was unfortunately discovered buried under her home months later. Her husband confessed when confronted in the world moved on. So mm. it was by chance that they found her. But yes, she was killed by her partner and again buried. And this is with a hand on the wall? Yes. So the, oh her, her missing case was highlighted and it kind of felt like because there was a an end to it. Nobody Which cared. is why people don't like missing stories as much, you know. But even in Peruvian papers, they so yeah. it's like let alone finding an American outlet mm-hmm. listening to hearing this story, even in Peruvian papers, it's like, all right, we moved on. Yeah. Yeah. And in you know, one of the few people I could find in Peru who is still considered a missing person is an American. And her name is Carla Valpeos. Now, that doesn't mean that the articles don't exist somewhere, but you know, not readily available, at least to us as Americans. But with Carla Vilpeos, she did get some if limited attention when she went missing. Carla was on her way to an Incan archaeological site near Cusco, again, in the same area, on December 12th, 2018, where she had traveled from her home in Detroit, Michigan. At 35 years old, Carla is a legally blind woman who has traveled extensively. Wow. Yeah. And in part to show that she couldn't be defined by her disability. Well, at least, you know what? She's not afraid on the airplane because I get scared on that airplane because I look down and I'm like, where am I? Why am I here? But she's blind. She can't see. She's in the tube. She's technically not completely blind, but she's considered legally blind for things like driving and stuff like that. Okay. But um, in part, she wanted to travel to see as much as the world as she could before completely losing her sight. Wow. Because she wasn't born this way. She suffers from a cone rod dystrophy, which is apparently a condition that causes a person's vision to deteriorate over time. And she was diagnosed with it at 10. So that's a, that's a really rough thing. You basically at 10 years old told an undeterminate amount of time, your vision is eventually just going to slowly fade into blindness. Oh my God. And what a, like a, that is a hopeful, beautiful outlook to be like, you know what? I'm going to travel the world and see as much as I can, because I'm, I think I'm pretty, um, what's, what's the word where you're sort of like, you're blessed and you don't know it when we take for granted. That's it. Yeah. When we take for granted things like sight. Yeah. Which we all do. And, And, you know, you can't help that sometimes, but and then you get this sort of situation and then you're like, holy shit, I've just always seen and now I have to think about what's going to happen to me. Yeah. And she wanted to see as much as she could in the in the time she had. So her parents, her family in general, seem just like incredible people. And her mom, who just recently retired from her job as a victim's advocate for a district attorney in Texas, she encouraged Carla to start learning Braille at a young age just to be prepared because they didn't really, I don't think they know exactly what time frame you have. But mm. I mean, she went from 10 to 35, still like having some vision. So it must have been very slow 
By December 2018, Carla had traveled to about 20 countries by herself. Wow. She had studied Arabic in Egypt, worked with abandoned children in Yemen, and traveled to remote villages in Indonesia to advocate for indigenous women. So, What a badass. Yeah, what a badass, right? Um, pretty cool. Her family said she had always dreamed of visiting Peru, but she hadn't gotten the chance. So she had a friend in Detroit who she lived nearby who happened to be traveling to Peru to be a bridesmaid in someone's wedding. And Carla was like, let me get in on this. Yeah, that's great. Perfect timing. Yeah. So she's like, I'm going to come to Peru with you. This is something I've always wanted. So for a lot of this trip, she was with her friend and in more of a city. I think I believe they were in Lima. So they were not out in, you know, the desolate areas of Peru. But she was, while there, she was determined to hike Machu Picchu by herself. That is something I think I would do. I don't blame her. I went to the Grand Canyon by myself, hiked that. Yeah, for sure. I I can totally see why you'd want to. And she was losing her sight, the last of her sight at this point. And while I can see on one hand, some people would be like, oh, you can't do that. What are you doing? On the other hand, she was losing the last of her sight. Yeah, she wants to go see Machu Picchu. Yeah. Hike it. I, I feel that energy, you know? I'm like, yeah, I would probably want to also do that. So what we do know is that after her wedding, she departed from her friend to do this journey for herself. Her friend was, you know, she was worried, but Carla's a grown woman. She can't go like, no, she can't like infantilize her because she's got sight issues. So she's like, okay, just like, please keep in contact with me and, you know, be safe and everything. So... Carla met up with other tourists who were planning to hike Machu Picchu, and they did that, Uh, and they did, in fact, return. She was actually staying in Cusco at the time, and she was staying with this group Mm -hmm. um, of people who were kind of the same goals as her, and they were staying in a hostel. Uh, She texted on December 11th, I can't wait to tell you all about this. It was absolutely worth it 100%. That was her friend who she went to. So she had a great time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The next day, December 12th, 2018, she was spotted on surveillance getting into a cab alone early in the morning. Her traveling companions all said she didn't tell anyone she would be leaving that morning. No. Before leaving, she sent a message to a friend saying she would be back in a few hours to hopefully visit some museums. She also left behind two bags with souvenirs, her medicine and her jacket. So why did she get in this car? Well, we don't know. Um, there's no evidence, there's nothing to suggest that she was running away to start a new life because she left her medication. You yeah, know? so she was like, I'll be back real quick. Yeah. Well, anyway, partly in thanks to uh, thanks to her father, which I'll come back to, police also discovered she had taken a second cab from the first cab. So what? they found the cab drivers. She got into a cab and she was taken to a place where I guess people do ride share cabs that take them further out. So this guy basically probably worked within the little town and was like, here's another place that will take you out. So she got into a second cab. She went to a place called the Sacred Valley, which is, it sort of sits at the foot of Machu Picchu. Mm -hmm. In other words, she was, it looked like she was sort of going back to the nature area. Maybe Maybe to say goodbye one more time? Who knows? This just sounds so dangerous. Girl, you had a great time already. Just have some coffee in the hotel. It's interesting. There was very little... um, there was very little evidence that she was going through anything except she sent one cryptic text a day or two before saying that there was a business she had to attend to, a very important business that she had to attend to before she came home. 
That was the closest anybody came to any sort of like, what? what was she doing? What the hell is she doing at the foot of Machu Picchu? So do you think somebody was like, I'll give you your eyesight back with this potion? I mean, there's so many possibilities and we'll get into some of the theories here. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today Carla's dad who is a contractor in his 70s as soon as he hears about his daughter not returning these messages gets on a plane flies directly to Peru and meets up with the local police who escort him through her last known whereabouts that's a good dad yeah this guy he really breaks my heart what he finds in this little tourist village which is where she was the foot of the where she was staying in the sacred valley it was called it's this little village called Pisac which is, it is felt like this is a tourist area. So we're not talking about a place where she's like in guerrilla warfare zones. This no. is still a very established place where tourists go all the time. So, but it's a small village. Mm-hmm. And um, what he finds there is, is a bit disheartening. Um, CNN says, when he arrived in Pisac, he quickly learned that locals don't trust police. He spent days getting to know the residents of the town and the people who regularly sell handcrafts in the main square and outside of the park's entrance. They were and are still cordial with him, but he's not sure if they will ever trust him. Yeah, because he could be a sting operation. It has really been a nightmare since the beginning. A total nightmare, he said. So he got limited help from locals because, again, they don't they don't trust authority and they're afraid of the authority. They're afraid the police are just going to point to one of them and go like, you did it and then take them away, you know? Yeah. Um. So. It goes on to say he walked through the narrow cobbled streets of the colonial village looking for surveillance cameras only to find a handful magnifying his exasperation. Much uh, Most of those cameras erase their footage every five days or so. So the last footage of Carla is from a surveillance camera outside of a pharmacy in Pisac that same morning. She's just walking like she doesn't look at distress at, in distress at first glance, whatever that means. She's just she's walking by. She went to a store and it was the last she was seen. She was facing, walking towards the direction of Pisac Archaeological Park, which is a 22,000-acre mountainside historic site known for its Incan ruins, tunnels, and massive agricultural terraces. Ooh, tunnels. I bet there's people in those tunnels. Probably. Um, It looks like Carla went to this park or towards it. From there on, there are diverging beliefs about what happened. Police seem to think that she got lost or attacked by animals. Which is true. She could. She could have. Nothing, however, was ever found of her, not even a scrap of her clothing. Nothing. They even flew drones over the whole area, partly due to, thanks to her family and in, in their involvement. 
but they they did a really a huge aerial search. They never found anything of hers. Usually, if it's an animal attack, you at least find like something—a shoe, a, a piece of shirt, or something. Bone, yeah, bone. Um, again, this partly due to her family's insistence. The police were pretty ready to dismiss it as an act of nature, or there are other theories that she went looking for one of the many places in the area that people seek out in this region to do ayahuasca with locals, which is a thing that we as Americans have really taken a liking to going to, you know, ancient uh, areas and, and doing drugs. Yeah. Um, but I mean, ayahuasca, that's not something you fuck around with. No. And, it seems, I, I don't know, man. There's the, no way. She'd leave her medicine in her backpack in her room to go do ayahuasca? Nah. Right. And and that's what her family said. Um, they insist that she was, it was not her fucking scene. She didn't do stuff like that. No, no offense. Ayahuasca people, have, like most of my friends have done it at this point. Um, but uh, they are just like, this is not her. And it's almost, it, you get that same ring of the police going, she went, she's probably going doing drugs. She yeah. seemed like sort of like, oh. She's a hothead. She's a hothead. Um, and they insist that that's not her. And it wouldn't be the first time a family didn't know about their, you know, their a person's private life, the secret party life. But she was so close with her parents and also her brother, whose name is Carlos Jr., it didn't seem likely she was going to go just suddenly do a bunch of like hallucinogenics no. in, in the jungle. No, and leave your bags at the hotel. And yeah, no, no, no. for their part, the family believes that she was met with a nefarious person or persons, be it someone in the trafficking business, a thief or, you know, somebody who sexually assaulted her, which is really horrendous to think about. But no traces have been discovered of her. Her brother and her, both of her parents have worked to continue tirelessly to find her. They have a GoFundMe, which I'll link on socials, for her dad to keep funding, who he in his mid-70s still spends months at a time walking the streets and hills of Peru looking for any kind of lead. Wow. Against, you know, they're they're not getting much help from the police. Police don't really care. So he just keeps going and going. Um, Carla's brother also spends weeks there with his dad. But he, Carlos Jr. has a um, uh, has a wife and a young son, so he can't stay as long as his her but dad, he, but yeah, he's in his seventies, and that's like your retirement years. And he is in Peru looking for his daughter. You never stop being a parent. Yeah, he he sounds like such an incredible man, and he basically said, "I'm just going to keep going until I find her." So he's just walking, and so they fund his trips and his flight, you know, flights and his stays and everything on this GoFundMe. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I guess for the Valpeos is. They have found a small community of families whose loved ones have disappeared in Peru and have also not really experienced closure. Alexandra Ayala Leon, who is of Spain, her daughter, Natalie Salazar Ayala, disappeared in 2017. Two men were eventually arrested after they told the police that Natalie died of a zip lining accident and unsure of what to do threw her into a river. I'm going to doubt that. I don't know. It could be true. I, I I did think for a while and I was like, well, why would they confess to her murder if they put her in a trap? Like, would they be protecting traffickers? Why would they go to jail forever for that? You know? Yeah. Like, okay. And I guess if you don't trust the police, you're like, fuck it. I guess we'll just bury her real quick. Yeah. I, I think that, it, you know, it's possible. Her body, unfortunately, was never recovered. So she's still technically missing, though maybe her family has just an ounce more closure knowing that she's most likely not somewhere suffering. That's good. But, you know, she never got to say goodbye to her daughter and never got any sort of like burial. Um, so, you know, they they 
the, the two families talk to each other a lot now. This is the, also the same with Elisa Clemen of Canada. Her son, Jesse Galganov, also disappeared in 2017 while backpacking in the Peruvian mountainside. There has thus far been no trace of him found, though he himself is pretty deep in the thick, they believe. Um, his mother feels as though he may have gotten disoriented from altitude sickness and died from exposure or, you know, foul play. But that he it's it's very, very sad because it's going to be very, very difficult to ever find anything of him because unlike Carla, which she was in a very structured part of nature tourism, he was out in, in the wilderness. Yeah. Um, so. Having a loved one lost in a foreign country is a nightmare anywhere, but especially in a place where police experience so much corruption and potentially ill-equipped forces, um, you know, authority there is just maybe not really equipped to handle these sorts of things. So I guess that's everywhere. I don't know what country has good police. I don't know. Is there any? Is there? I don't know. Wherever. Well, I did read about the safest place in the world, and it looks like a hellscape. It's in... Um, South Korea and it's in a apartment building and everything you do is monitored like how much water you do how much like expend how much trash you've expend and you get one little trash bag and then you throw your trash away in there I just feel like I would get so drunk and then like because everything's run on a button and voice control and I would just be like Siri go fuck yourself and then like water would spray everywhere and like I go to jail <laughs> are they prisoners it, it looks like that it looks like a prison with like a, a nice glossy paint to it well that's like a very but it's considered the most safest community in the world and like a lot of parents raise their kids there because there's cameras everywhere and I'm like I don't know, I don't know about all this I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't like that at all that just sounds like kind of like big brother yes it does um, yes it does I don't know if I call that safe. I'd be scared of the cameras. Yeah. That doesn't sound safe. Anyway, well, great. Everywhere's <laughs> bad. So <laughs> the Valpeos and I'm sure most families in this situation are stuck from both sides as the U.S. Embassy tells them they, they don't have jurisdiction in Peru and they can't really do anything. It must really feel like their daughter's being erased by two countries, mm. you know? Because they, you know, they're they're trying to get the U.S. involved, the family, and they just keep saying, "We can't do anything for Carla. We we can't control their government. We can't help. We can't do anything." So, this is all to say, of course, there are many reasons to visit Peru and contribute to their economy in a respectful way. But for obvious reasons, please don't do so entirely alone if you want to go. No, yeah, go with a buddy. Yeah, buddy system. Go with your loudmouth girlfriend. Yeah, it's just like I say what I want when I want. Like she goes to Peru with you. Well, that might be scary too. They might not. They might not take take to that. Oh, right. I don't really know what the good, the best attitude is to have. I guess just like you know, staying um, alert. Really. Yeah. Don't walk around with your headphones on. Yeah, and don't you know go to a second location with people, especially if you're drinking. Oh God, yeah. Let so, people know where you're going. Yeah, you have to, man. You have to, please. So. From the state side, just FYI to everyone, the government travel advisory lists Peru at a level two risk, which is a two of four. The number one is exercise normal precautions. Number two is exercise increased caution. And that's Peru. And that's Peru. And number three is reconsider travel. Ooh. And number four is 
Go. Don't do it. Go away. Don't come here. Get out of here. Yeah. Um, what where are number fours? Where is the do not travel? I imagine probably uh, Afghanistan. I think places that are in war zones, probably. Yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. I I didn't check. I'm kind of curious to look at it, but uh, I was only looking at Peru at this point. Um, there is like a, I read a tourist company that does like rock and roll tourism and they they drive you into war zones. I forget exactly what they're called, but they will drive you like directly into guerrilla warfare. And it's just people that are like, we had a great time. <laughs> That's a little psychotic. It's a little, yeah, it's, it's like for people that want extreme travel. You want to watch people like innocent people be murdered in front of you? Go I don't fuck know. Yourself. I think it's probably it's probably people with PTSD themselves and they can't go on a normal vacation. Like McCamey Manor. We just did a, a pop history about haunts like Halloween history. And I don't know if you've ever heard of McCamey Manor, but it's it's like an extreme um, haunt experience. Oh, where they like lock you in a chest and like chain you up. You basically sign a waiver away. Now you have to have a safe word, but it's this guy. He I don't I don't like what he does, but. He basically will will capture you for like six plus hours when they just like. And is it like like people that just got back from war? A or lot something? of the people who've done it are people who've been through like war trauma. Abused women. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I guess that's the same vein. But fuck you. Those are those are you're at least with McCamey Manor, and I'm not defending him. At least it's just you agreeing to do it. If you're going to watch other people be killed, yeah, I feel like that shouldn't even be legal. No, um, yeah, there's a lot of things people do in this world that are kind of fucked up. Right? Um, good night, everyone. <laughs> no, we're wrapping it up here. But they also say to exercise increased caution in Peru due to COVID, crime, and terrorism, some areas have increased risk from that. Um, you know, read through. There's certain areas of Peru that are like higher, lower, whatever. So you can, they'll, they'll give you areas. This is just the, still what our government, so trust as, our government as much as you can throw. Yeah. And like, what if you have COVID and you go into these small communities? Yes. And so, the communities, they don't have hospitals that are like us. Yeah. Please don't. I mean, now they're they're requiring specific things to get into Peru. But like, if you're not vaccinated, please just don't walk into like... A vulnerable community <laughs> please don't just please don't do it and kill a bunch of people um so peru has only just changed from a three by the way reconsider travel to two wow um probably because they're doing this they're finally doing this shit where they're getting all the names cataloged yeah th- that and also they're that finally they they're starting to get covid under control it's just i mean this just happened a week ago like october some uh, the beginning of October. Wow. They changed it from reconsider travel to maybe it's okay. Really? Yeah. Holy shit. Um, so lockdowns have decreased substantially, but that doesn't mean crime isn't still high. People are suffering, stressed, and angry because of pandemics. Because pandemics are kind of a bummer, mm-hmm. turns out. No, not an excuse for violence, but that's the reality. Yeah, I never get people that are like, I could just sit inside all day. I love this. And I'm like, it sounds like... I guess good for you. I mean, if that's the life you want to live, you go on ahead. But there's a lot of people that are getting abused in their homes. Yes. Um, the CDC also lists Peru as moderate risk for COVID, especially in the unvaxxed. There's, they have, like, again, they have a much, much, much more under control. Um, death rate was terrible for a long time, but it's better now. They have, you know, they had delayed receiving vaccines, but have slowly gotten through a decent percentage of their population. Um, however, oh. our indigenous population is only about 9% vaxxed because... They don't trust the government, understandably. Yeah. Um, so again, please don't please don't go out there without knowing you're not sick. Yeah, I saw um, some burial sites of like aerial views of burial sites, and it is like people on top of each other, yeah. like graves just on top of each other. So yeah, that's where we're gonna we're gonna finish up here. 
Um, everything I've read and learned, it, Peru seems like really incredible and, and I really would like to see it at some oh, point. Rich history, beautiful mm. location. And I bet most people are just like people. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. They like to eat, laugh, have fun, yeah. would welcome you. But uh, exercise caution. Don't get in a cab and not tell anybody where you're going. Please don't ever do that for any reason. Just oh. don't. Uh, and, uh, you know, they have a they're working slowly, slowly, slowly on making things better for women there. Um, I do see it does look like there is actual movement happening, but we should we should know what's happening and support them and, and cheer them on and do what we can. So. This uh, series, other than I'll, I'll send you the GoFundMe uh, for Carla's family, but uh, I wanted to highlight PeruvianHearts.org. It was actually uh, started by a child. She was a, a girl who was born in Cusco and was then adopted. And she visited her home country when she was very young and she saw the suffering of girls there and decided she wanted to start a foundation. So she started this at 11. What? And now she's an adult woman, continues to do it. And it is an empowerment education. Uh, Basically, I I like to a lot of times I like to try to focus on the educational aspect. So this is one that definitely. Yeah. The more um, you educate girls, the better the community is. Yeah. Yeah. And. That's why they a lot of times try to keep girls out of schools in certain communities um, because then they learn stuff and then they get all mouthy and they want things. So, <laughs> But again, when you take care of the women, the whole community's better. Absolutely. Everybody's better for it. So, yes, uh, Peruvian Hearts focuses on um, uh, enrichment of girls. And so we'll be donating there this series. And we are going to get we're getting closer to the end of season one. I can't believe it. Um, we'll have a new series and then uh, I believe another before the end of the season. Um, but uh, yeah, thanks for, for coming along on this here journey through the Peruvian jungle. Yeah, um, yeah. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot. I've loved a lot. Not laughed that much. <laughs> Mostly been mad, but a couple laughs in there. Uh, you can follow me at the Natty Jean on um, stuff and follow us at someplace underneath Amber. Amber Smelson across all platforms. It, this is Amber Natalie signing off, saucy, pert, and greasy as always. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost.